Hi, this is Nancy Yearell, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And all the way from, you're in the UK, aren't you, Elizabeth? Yes, I am. Elizabeth? Just in a little town in Ludlow, which is between England and Wales, just on the border. Oh, God bless. Well, Elizabeth Ashley's here. She has written this phenomenal book, and she's going to teach us about the Divine Feminine today. It's called Meeting Melissa, the Ancient Greek be a priestess of a Demeter. And here's what the book looks like if you're watching me on the podcast. It has a beautiful cover, by the way, I will say that. Now, just so you guys have an idea of what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about, and hopefully I pronounce this right, the Aleutian Mysteries. Is that right? Eleusinian mysteries. Eleusinian mysteries. Okay. The most prestigious initiation of the ancient world. So the ritual secrets were protected by death vows and have been speculated about for more than 4,000 years. Now, there's a 90 festival that was run by a group of women called the Melissae or the Bees. Married women, second only in rank to the priestess of Athena, Peleus. Now, if I'm not pronouncing any of this right, I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> Who presided over Athens. This is all about, this all took place in Greece. So they uh, amassed incredible wealth, fame, and political status. The women were in charge, you guys, which is how it should be, I think. Um, temple accounts from the period reveal that it was the priestesses' money that paid for Greece's glorious architecture. And I won't get too much more into it because I want her to talk, but Elizabeth has almost 30 years of professional experience, you guys, as a clinical aromatherapist. Uh, she's in the UK. She's the director for the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapy, and she oversees speaker for the International Federation of Aromatherapists. Wow, I'm just honored that you're here. This is really cool. She's a professional speaker. She has presented at trade conferences in Beijing, Utah, Budapest, and Sofia, and regularly contributes to the five professional trade journals. You guys, she has a really um, interesting bio. I won't do the whole thing, but she's an accomplished writer. Um, she is a mother of three. She says the guardian of a Stanford or Stanfordshire bull terrier. <laughs> a tropical fish. She does have a colony of bees, you guys. And I don't know what this is. She has, what is it? Who's, who's Joel? Who's Joel? Joel is an axolotl. Have you never seen one? So they're I've like, never seen one, no. Um, they are the curious things. If you've got a teenage boy in the house, ask them because it's in Minecraft, actually. There's oh, my they God. Are real, they are real things. They're like little salamanders and they never get, grown up so they never lose their little gills are like this they are oh. the prettiest little things but he's so lazy he does nothing <laughs> well she's a practicing bee shaman you guys and she's a melissa's priestess and a bookkeeper the secret healer writes in her shed overlooking the shramshire countryside where she lives with her husband and her youngest son i'm just so thrilled you're here elizabeth how did you get into this how did you want to learn about the bees and the priestess and Greece and all of this. Tell us your story. Well, first of all, I should say welcome to the shed because I am in the shed. Oh, uh, look at all your essential <laughs> oils behind you. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. And, and that, that is what happened. I didn't deliberately go and look for them. I, start, I write books about essential oils. 
And I usually write about the latest clinical evidence that happens in a laboratory okay. and then go right back in history and say, well, what was the earliest thing we knew about this plant? And we just, I decided in 2018 that I... I Every time I went out in the garden, I was having quite a stressful time and I would smell the lemon balm and think, gosh, I feel so much better. I wonder what the science is. I wonder what we know about this. So I decided to write that book. And when I write a book, then the, the book is the investigation. It's not because I already know the book is about doing the investigation. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking back at the history, there was this mention of in medieval books so 14th 15th 16th century said the melissa because it's lemon balm is melissa officinalis yeah melissa. i have melissa i pulled oh. my melissa out today i i put this on i just want to say this really quick melissa is one of my it's like my favorite oil that and lemon balm and i don't know well, why you, you must be earning too much money because it's so expensive it's <laughs> It is expensive. It is expensive. expensive. Yeah, because for 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 a plant that smells so strongly, it has a really small yield. So all of these things are interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And here was this mention of these priestesses. And I've got the kind of mind that goes, I I don't understand that. And if I don't understand it, then that worries me. I'm going to find out. So who were these women they were talking about? What was their function? What were they for? And gradually I got drawn into this story of these women and discovered I had originally thought, you know, when the the um, pagan sanctuaries were closed in 392 AD, I thought probably that is the end of that. But I discovered that, no, some had disappeared to Scandinavia and that actually there were Melissa priestesses in the, in England and I, in Wales, and I didn't know that, and in Lithuania. And uh, I tracked some down and learned what they did and it managed to attract my own swarms of bees. So I have three colonies of bees. In the oh, garden. my gosh. Oh. Yeah. And they just turned up and decided they're going to move in. And so we have it together. <laughs> well, let, let's rewind a little bit. Who were these priestesses and what was their correlation with the bees? I mean, what was their connection? Explain to the audience, because this really Let's gets talk- into. Yeah. So okay. I'll explain the connection first, because it's like you have these questions at the back of your mind. And if you're not careful, they preoccupy you, don't they? So you've got your Melissa there in your mm-hmm. bottle. Mm-hmm. and what they, it smells like. So the bees mm-hmm. communicate with three different ways. So they They buzz and they hum. They dance. So if you don't know, they dance in figures of eight and circles to tell the the rest of the bees where the pollen is and all of that stuff. Okay. They also secrete pheromones. And one of these pheromones is called Nazanoff. And it's like one of the main chemical messengers. So when the, the, if you don't know, the bees that forage in the garden, they're quite old by the time they come out. So... They're, they've only got about two weeks of their life left, but we still call them the newbies, my son and I. The newbies are coming out and they have this special training flight that they do that's almost like a figure of eight from the hive and back. And they know how to come back because the older bees secrete Nazanoff. They secrete that smell. And that basically says, this is home, come back here. And when they swarm and they go and look for a new um, place to live, they mark that place with Nazanoff. So 
the smell, Nazanoff kind of says, welcome, this is home, we love you, come home, welcome back. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, that is kind of the feeling that you get when you smell it yourself. And the reason is because Melissa essential oil is almost exactly the same chemical constituency as, as Nazanoff. It's very odd. And so right back in history, if we, we go back to the Georgics, which is Virgil wrote in ancient Greece, he tells you rub lemon balm on your hive and your bees won't go. So they knew that. Um, really? So, yeah. So this, so this is Melissa means bee. That's what it means. So they, so we've already got this correlation. And as I say, I discovered that the the Melissae were priestesses of Demeter Kaur. So Demeter is the goddess of agriculture. Mm. And the Kaur is the name for, for Persephone before she gets taken down into the underworld. She's the maiden. So the priestess of Demeter Kaur, the, the um, Melissa priestess, it was um, a post for a married woman with children, but it was a lifelong uh, position. So once you were there, until you died, you had that. And it came with enormous prestige. For example, um, she would always wear purple. She always had to wear a purple coat and nobody else was allowed to wear purple. And she would have um, seats kept aside for her at the theatre. She, she had the most important seat at the theatre. She had the most important seat at the Olympic Games. So these were these were powerful women, and mm -hmm. you said in your um, the introduction they paid for the temples. So their job was to open discourse with the goddess. So priestesses served goddesses, priests served priests, right? Except for, except for the goddess Hecate, she had a priest. We don't really understand why, but she did. Um, and she would open the conversation with the goddess. She would look after the image of the goddess. So if you uh, saw the statues, it was her job to wash it and to clothe it and to shroud it with flowers. And when sacrifices were made, the priest would sacrifice and it was her job to let out the death cry to say that you've um, gone down to the underworld, obviously. Um, and she would get paid for offering sacrifices on your behalf. And these payments were what went on to pay for... Um, for temples but also everything that happened around you so there was there's like records we've got records of market halls and heating being put in market halls and the the pathways the roadways all being under the care of the priestess for that area so if you think about ancient greece now you will bring to mind the acropolis and the parthenon and the parthenon was dedicated to athena so, so women had paid for that. That was a, a, a to a goddess, and so we we know about the priestesses Demeter and Kaur. We've talked about those. We also know that in Ephesus, which is Asia Minor, so that is where, uh, Turkey now, mm -hmm. um, the priest the priestesses of Artemis of Ephesus were also called Melissa, and the temple was based on the idea of a hive. The high priestess was called the beekeeper and they worshipped the goddess as a queen bee on the new and the full moon. Her priests were eunuchs called drones or Essenes. So a drone is a main male bee. And the coins, all their coinage had bees on it. 
and the even the soldiers had got shields which all had bees on them and yeah and you show pictures of this i want to mention she shows pictures of these in the book so i want to ask you a question i hate to get back to such layman terms here but i mean it feels like and i think and i want to know through your research that the women really had a huge influence over everything over architecture over politics over everything this was not how it's depicted no and and we don't really understand to what extent so yeah the other other melissa that is famous is sort of a few different ones but Perhaps the most famous one is Melissa Delphis, who was the Delphic Bee, the Oracle of Delphi. Right. Now, kings and tribal leaders would come to her and talk to her about where shall I set up this new uh, tribal colony? Where shall we settle? Where should we take on people in battle? All of those sort of things. And there's still records, the records still exist of these conversations. And she would answer in hexameter verse, so this rhyming verse that was like 12 beats per line, and it was almost like a riddle. Um, and it was said that her her prophecy came from Apollo, so she drew it up through her lower mouth, the vagina, up through um, the lower mouth into the womb, and she would blurt it out. And, yeah, from that, decisions, political decisions were made. Now, we can't say that they weren't statesmen. They weren't. So they weren't like the people, the major decision makers that said this is what happens. But the mm. priestesses held the key to the temple, and the temple was the bank. So they were. So they did. They were in charge of everything. They they had a lot of power, but but it was a really strong class system. So these priestesses, most of them, you could buy a priestesshood, but most of them were um, born into them. And they would marry powerful men who got plenty of money because a lot of money passed through their their actual hands. Um, and then and then you have like the hoi polloi down the bottom. And they were, I think the women down the bottom probably were quite restricted in what they could do. But... The, we know that in ancient Greece there was 140 state days and 100 uh, uh, yes 180 religious days. Wow! And a lot of those were just for women to go and gather together. So they did have a lot of time to to socialize. Yeah. And so this idea of them having been locked away is looking probably less and less likely. I think. I wonder when everything changed. I wonder when everything flipped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just because yeah, and and I want to rewind a little bit too on the on the oracle part of it. Now, when you say she she was div- she could do divination and oracle, which means that she was psychic, right? Yeah, but when you uh, for those who didn't who who were on the podcast, you wouldn't have seen that. So right. when Nancy said psychic, she brought it down from the heavens down into the head. But the oracle brings up from the ground. Oh. She brings it up from the ground. So the goddess speaks from the ground, and the uh, and so it was ah. serpentine energy. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, definitely psychic. Um, Got it. And I do think that there is. 
through everything that you do in this kind of work, there's this kind of stepping in and out of these ordinary worlds into non-ordinary reality. You go in and out of trance quite often when you're working with bees without even noticing it. You do Now, have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, naturally, I'm a very psychic person. I was born into a family who who were that way. Right. But one thing, I mean, the first time I said to you that the, the, the bees moved in and the first time that I actually opened the hive to work with them, I'd had to learn to do beekeeping in lockdown on Zoom. So the first time you go into a, into a hive. Oh, my God. I, quite a scary thing <laughs> but it was the closest thing that I'd ever had to a religious experience you know that because you just were so aware of this power that was there you know 60,000 bees in, in the height of summer that's a lot a lot that can really sting you if you if you want to but if they accept you and as you move slowly and you talk to them then they quite happily accept you and you feel the energy shift of like oh she's here she's part of our hive and it, it, oh. it is a real incredible feeling yeah well, I would have to meditate before I go in and just be really calm. Yeah. And so so when you do Melissa work, you always do that. So you drop your attention down. There's a special way of dropping your attention down to the womb. Everything's about the womb with bee shamanism. And you connect with the bees and you talk to them and tell them, well, I am going to come in. Is everything all right with that? But also... For me, I don't like opening the hive too often because that Nazanov smell, they make it when they're disturbed. And so I don't, every time I can smell it, I think, oh, I've disturbed them. I don't like that. So I, I, I try very hard to watch what's going on just at the entrance. And each day I'll go and I'll meditate and say, guys, what's going on in there? And so if there's something afoot, usually I can tell before I open it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. Wow. So do you get honey? So there's loads of honey, but I don't believe in taking it myself. No. (laughs) So so because it's their food. And so when you take it away, uh, traditionally, everyone takes the honey and then feeds them just sugar for the winter. And I'm like, that can't be right. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay. So you're teaching us a lot of things that I did not know. Yeah. So, so sometimes when I open the top, there is like, so you always in a hive, you have to leave bee space, which basically means there's enough room for a bee to wriggle over the, over the frame or under the frame or either side of the frame. So I always leave a little bit at the top. Um, I say I, my husband makes the the, uh, the hives, but there's enough room. But sometimes you'll take, you'll try to take the boards off. You're like, oh, goodness me, they've built right up to it. And so you can't actually get the board back on without taking that bit of um, comb and honey away. So we do take a very small amount. And my my son always says, well, that's your bit. They make that for you. I I don't I really don't feel very comfortable taking their their food off the window. It doesn't seem right at all. (laughs) I have to ask you, how has this changed you? I can tell you're just so delighted to have them in your life. Um yes. So I alluded to the fact that I come from a quite a remarkable family. Mm-hmm. So my, my are you mom, a shaman? You're a shaman. No. So no. M- my mom 
is a third degree Wiccan witch and huh? was, and was as, from being this big, I always knew my mum was a witch. Okay. But I always said, I'm not. And I felt, and I've always felt really, really strongly that I'm not. And it kind of made no sense to me that I could do these magical things because I can, I can see auras, I can hear plants speak and stuff, but I'm not a witch. But okay. as soon as I discovered this, I was like, this is what I always was. And it, to me, it was like meeting my family for the first time you know I just these bees and I can talk to each other and hear each other and and it, and to me I felt like I'd come home definitely it did oh, change me a lot that's really beautiful actually a lot of people have this real stigmatism when you say witch mm-hmm. um can you kind of give us a little you know, indication of what she really does and what you really do so that people don't think you cast spells on people and things like that. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) You you cross me, you'll know about it. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, well. I'm an angel. You can't cast a spell on me. (laughs) Um, she was one of the first aromatherapists in this country and she became an aromatherapist because prior to that she was an internationally known astrologer and clairvoyant and people would turn up at our house on an evening and get we'd we'd have to tell them to stop smoking please and be quiet I want to watch Coronation Street and they'd all they'd all line up in the living room and then they'd go through and she used to get very upset because she used to see so many very old women gnarled up in so much pain with like arthritis and stuff and so she really had her eyes open for an opportunity to kind of help these people yes then she there's this lovely story where she went into a bookshop and she was just looking and a book fell off the the um shelf and hit her on the foot and she picked it up and we didn't even really look at it and said to my dad this is what I'm going to go and do. And he was like, what, what is it? And he went, she went, I don't know. I suppose we'll find out. But she took it as a massive sign. Right. And she became, actually, in the 80s and 90s, she was, she owned the biggest aromatherapy school in the UK. Oh, so, yeah. So, as, wow. as a, yeah, of course, she, she casts spells because she makes people better. She, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Now I'm going to tell you, I have to, I'm going to go back to Melissa. Now I didn't, and it's empty, by the way. I need to, I got this because, and I'll just be honest, I, uh, I'm more of an angelic kind of soul. And I had another gentleman who is an angelic kind of soul on my show. And um, his name is Michael. And so he, we, after the show, I told him, I just can't calm down. My energy is just so high. I have such a hard time. And he said, Nancy, you need to get Melissa. And that I had never heard of it before. And I had heard of all kinds of essential oils and I had bought them, but I had never heard of this. And he said, you need to buy it. And when you start to feel anxious, put a little right here. He said, or just smell it and it will calm you down. And he was right. And that's how I ended up with Melissa. Now, maybe you can kind of elaborate and say what in it makes me calm down like that. You don't know. No. 
no and <laughs> and so so no so when you obviously i've written this book about meeting the melissa about the priestesses right however it came about because of the herbal medicine book well yeah that's what i'm saying and and the answer to that is right the way through the science you go it goes so maybe it's that, but then this proves that, it disproves that. And then maybe it's that, no, that disproves that. Well, like the lemon balm. The answer, the answer is, it's magic. It's magic. <laughs> it's like the lemon balm, and I'll say that too. I mean, lemon balm is magnificent. I love lemon balm. It is so, I mean, I have bought a big thing of it from a guy out of Santa Fe last time I was at the lavender market. He had lemon balm and I bought it and I used the whole thing. I mean, because I put it in the diffuser, the whole house smells like lemon balm. And it's the same to me though. I know you're the expert, but I'll just say as a normal person who uses it, I feel like it like uplifts everything. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. So it interacts with so many different things within the nervous yeah. system. So yeah. we know that it interacts with serotonin, which yeah. is a, a mood stabilizer it yes. interacts with dopamine which is drive motivation yeah it interacts with GABA which is our main calming transmitter but um we don't really understand how it how, how it does, does it. it yeah it's it's, it does it's it. a fascinating oil that people will keep on researching for a long time to come because it's going to be very important to people with dementia um, it's oh. extremely good. Uh, so how you know how you say it, it calms you down and it uplifts Yeah, yeah. It really helps them get a, a sense of, you know how like they can get lost and not where, where the bearings are? It, it really stops that. And there's it brings you back. Big, right. And the, uh, there's a, in the other book, in the um, Herbal Medicine book, which you can get on um, Amazon, there is um, a long section about um, how the research into dementia and how they measure it is to use like a, a questionnaire. And there's this one section where they've used this questionnaire, not on the people who are ill, but with their carers. And it's like, how many times did they disrobe in front of somebody? How many times did they spit at somebody? How many times have they tried to hurt themselves? And it's just like, oh, my goodness me, these people are living with this. I had no idea. And the Melissa is incredibly helpful for it. But they think that the molecule that does all that is called rosemarinic acid. Now, rosemarinic acid is a big molecule, too big to get across a, um, a, a distillation so it's not in the essential oil but the essential oil still does it so that's what i mean about we, we, we don't, don't know we don't understand oh it's God. just like contradictions all the way along all right but i have to, really important you're just a, a wealth of knowledge <laughs> i'm so yeah. excited you're here um i want to ask you a question as far as essential oils go um, when you get rose oil, I've been told that rose oil, if you put just a little bit on your tongue, will heal like any kind of, you know, thing that you have going on. That's more of a healing. Will it? Does it heal the rose oil? Oh, it's a very healing oil. Yeah, okay. but you don't okay. need to put. You don't need to put it on your tongue. What do you do? Well, essential oils. Ooh. Will go can get through the system in many different ways. Right. Fastest is to smell it. You know, it'll oh. it'll affect your brain within five minutes. It moves there that, that fast. But so if you put it on your skin, 
The skin's obviously a semi-permeable organ. We know that. We sweat through it. So the molecules are small enough to go through the pores and into the blood system and move to all the different parts of the body. And, and yeah, for things like gynecological problems, okay. things like grief, okay. um, but also things like your kidneys, renal colic, it's very laxative, okay. um, sexual dysfunction, all of those things, fantastic. It's a really beautiful oil. Wow. But the most fantastic thing that it does, which is so shallow for me to say, is it gives you incredible skin. Oh, so if you put it on your skin. English well, rose, expensive. English rose skin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's expensive. The rose oil is. is the most expensive because I think it takes thousands of roses or whatever to make a little. Yeah, and the, the season is very short, of course, ah. too, for the roses. And they, the it's also costs an awful lot of money to make it because when they pick the roses, they have to go out at dawn. And the picking is over by eight o'clock because then the flower has opened oh. too wide and the oil goes off. So they have to wait till the next day. So they have to pay the pickers quite a lot of money for that small amount of time. And wow, what's fascinating, and I didn't realize this until I went to the rose her- harvest in Bulgaria, which incidentally. Oh, my gosh. How cool would that air, be? The air is pink, you know. It's just oh my gosh. oil in the, in the air. It's pink. Yeah, the, yeah, because the some molecules turn it pink. So you, so you just walk in and it's like oh my God. in this pink case. So it's quite sickly because it's so sweet. You know, there's so much rose in the air. Oh, my God. But then so they, they do the distillation and they've got these enormous vats and they've got these huge bags, clear bags of full of rose petals and full of earwigs because they can't get rid of them. They're all going. <laughs> and... Uh, but they don't know until the end how much they're going to have of it um, because the oil alters based on how much rain there's been, how much sun, all of that How stuff. much moisture was in that petal? Not just that. I'll, I'll, ex- I'll explain that in a second. But So then they have to make the distillation. They, they put it all back together and then they set the price. But it's already been sold by that time. Because people go to the rose harvest oh and they God. buy and they say, because it's so rare, they yeah. all go, right, I want 20 hundred litres. And they go, right. And it's only like weeks later, they they know how much they've paid for it because of the yield. So the, the yield isn't just rain. So an essential oil is made because the um, plant is responding to stress. So if you think about uh, like a plant has got roots, so it can't run away from a caterpillar or from the earwig, it can't do that. If it's too hot, it can't go and get a drink. Right. So so the the essential oil is what's called a secondary metabolite. It's what it makes to deal with these stresses. Oh. So every year the stress will be different. And oh. so the chemistry will be different. And so the yield will be different. And so the price is different. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Now, I have a question as far as the priestess. Did they use, I'm curious, you know, um, you talk about lemon balm and that's how you started this whole adventure and it's fabulous. Did they, did you find that they used frankincense and myrrh? Oh, yes, definitely. So, yes, so they wouldn't be essential oils because 
they weren't really they weren't distillation wasn't invented we don't think till the 12th century so it definitely okay. wasn't that right. but yes frankincense and myrrh and particularly uh, in rituals for aphrodite there's lots of stories about adonis and aphrodite and adonis was born of a myrrh tree that's what the, the, okay. the myth is okay. so so yes definitely and um actually you can find lots of spells uh, they're called the the Greco um, Egyptian papyri. They still exist. They're still written down. So these are spells that were to various gods and goddesses and rituals that were done. And there's always like frankincense and myrrh in them. And frankincense was specifically for Apollo. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So you did. How long did this take you? I just have to ask you that question. Four years. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there is so much information in here. Yeah. I was just floored. I mean, you really did a lot of research out of everything. What was, tell us, what were you really surprised about? What was really shocking to you uh, after doing all this information and, and gathering it? I think so. When I discovered that there were still priestesses doing this kind of work. Oh, there are? Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. We're at in Greece? Uh, no, actually, I don't think they are in Greece. Just Where like, so certainly in Lithuania, but also in England and Wales. And I trained with a lady who was in America. And she, she teaches, her name is Ariella Daly, if anybody wants to look her up, she's Fantastic. Ariella Daly. Okay. Yeah. Where's she out of? Dude. Uh, California somewhere. Okay. Um, and my geography is horrific. Sorry. That's okay. And um, she teaches dream incubation. So when they do the Mistress of Eleusis, the Mistress of Eleusis was a nine day festival. Right. And about day four or five, the priest, the priesthood of Asclepius came and Asclepius and Hygieia. And I don't know if you know, in ancient Greece, that's how they did their healing. They did their healing through dream incubation, that you would go and dream with the god Asclepius, surrounded by snakes. Oh, my and, God. Um, I don't think I could interpret, have done They would interpret your dreams. So... I would get up in the middle of the night because obviously you you guys are on the others in a different time zone to me. So I would get up in the middle of the night and I would go and uh, learn to do dream incubation in what's called a dreaming hive. So that is so when you're working as a, in a set of priestesses, you work in a set of six in a hexagon. So there was two hexagons and the bee mistress, which is Ariella. And what happens is you dream together on a theme. Oh um, so I won't I won't give away her secrets because if people want to go and do it. Yeah. But there's like a ritual that you do and you dream together on a theme. And then you come together and you tell the dream with your eyes closed from we say mirror it from the womb. And the others go one by one, sister, I heard your dream. And what I saw was, and they bring back their interpretation to you. Okay. So, so the way that this is connected is the Greeks believed that the, the bees were the bringers of dreams. 
and that the the bees took away the souls of the dead and they brought back the souls of the brought back the new souls that were born and then so there's this idea that the bees have this golden net this architecture around the planet and that they inhabit the weave we call it the weave and that you can in you can see each other's dreams and I, the thing that shocked me most is that I can't disprove that. <laughs> but you can't. could, you could see each other's dreams. I d- we definitely could see each other's dreams, and what's more, we could see the future doing it too. And it was astonishing that no. nobody does it anymore. <laughs> is it because? Are, so are you breaking through the veil? Are you breaking through the matrix when you do that? Is that what you're doing? Well, no. The, the, the legend says that the weave is outside of the earth. And that you're looking down on it. But I, I don't know. All I know is when you work together, you can see what's going on in the future. You can make decisions. You can hear the earth speak. If you talk, you can hear the, the earth will give you messages back. And yeah, you can see each other's dreams. When you say the earth gives you messages back, is that Gaia? Is that Mother Earth giving you messages? Is that the mother? That would be her, that would be her name in ancient Greece. Yes, I'm just I'm just curious, you know, because with I the reason I ask you this is in the more and I teach the audience this. I bring in the light from above and I run it down through my body, but I also bring it up. I ground yeah. myself down to Mother Earth, and I imagine roots going down into the earth. And once I hit the light, I know I hit it, and then I bring it back up. So that is what, so I know about this and I know the energy, because they say as above, so below. So I know the energy in the earth is just as powerful as it is above. And Undoubtedly so, so, yes. Right. And so the messages that you're receiving, it's just amazing to me, are, I, I mean, it's got to be from the mother, right? From the earth itself. Well, you see, that's a very monotheistic way of looking at it. Okay. Because we're listening to bee spirits, we're listening to plant spirits, we're listening to tree spirits. Right. So is it just Kaya? You know, that's okay. we're in a different paradigm to that, aren't we? Okay. So are we listening? Maybe you were listening to the bees in one respect, but then in Gaia and another. And you yeah, have to... and then sometimes it would be Persephone. You would hear hear and see Persephone speak through other people. Yeah. Very, very, very strange. Very strange. So but beautiful. I... Really beautiful. So did it make you more intuitive, more connected to the earth, more connected to nature? Or Yeah, I... I wouldn't say maybe more intuitive because I've always been extraordinarily intuitive. She's like, I'm psychic, Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Either you are or you're not, aren't you? Right, like, right, right, right. And, and bear in mind, I was never taught that that wasn't the way of the world. I was just taught ah. that was. So I've never stopped. So did it make No, it didn't. You never knew right, any different. Right. right. That's just the way I am. Yeah. But it definitely did in in increase my uh, connection to the earth definitely really shifted my whole way of looking at nature and just the world around me yeah you heal a lot of people don't you i hope i do i hope i do that's what i feel i'm intuitive too (laughs) yeah i i hope i do that's what i feel i 
even outside of my work, I, I hope that people would say that I am a very kind person and that I am a good listener and you know, people, my mum my always says, are you going out for something nice or people going to moan? <laughs> yeah, of course they're going to moan because that's what they do. Everybody goes, all oh, I'll tell Liz about it. And I thought, that, that's my healing gift, yeah. Now, this came out, I have to say, uh, I think it was August the 13th, is that right? No, it comes out on October the 1st. Oh, it's not even out yet? No. Oh, I was thinking it was out October the 1st. Wow, I feel so fortunate. You guys, this is like packed full of interesting information. Has anybody seen this? Have you been on any shows? Am I one of the first or what? Uh, there, I've been on a, a couple, but okay. so you're up there, you're up there. And I'm instead, there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, because I'm such a proud mom. So I have three children, as you saw, and both my big children are grown now. But my, my youngest is, well, he's, <laughs> so he's, not, he's not very small now. He's nearly six foot, but oh. he's only 14. And he was very much around and about. We were homeschooling while I was trying to, to do this. And so I try and drag him into everything. And I was getting very stressed. What are we going to do about this cover? They've asked me to do this cover. And this was his idea. My 14-year-old son did that. It's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's magnificent. If you guys... Yeah, the designers really picked up his idea. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening on the podcast, you're going to have to tune into the YouTube channel and or just look up her book. It's Elizabeth Ashley and uh, it's Meeting the Melissa. And it's the ancient Greek Greek be priestesses of Demeter. Um, I just want to know, if you don't mind, a little bit more about um, the work that they did, because even, I mean, you even talk about contraception in here because they had the ability. I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there. You say the bee shamanism teachings um, taught the priestess how to control when the sperm meets the egg, even. I mean, they were that advanced well i mean this is a a long thread really um i think at the beginning i give quite a good set of archaeological evidence i think for the fact that i think it's well known that there was some degree of understanding birth control that long ago yeah um but but so if if you don't know so so bees there's kind of three different types of bee within the hive. So there's a queen bee, obviously. There's worker bees and there's drones. So the majority of them are worker bees. As I said, so they overwinter with around about 10,000 bees, only only females, no males. And then the when the first pollen comes in, the, the queen starts to lay again and she will take the hive up to around about 60,000 bees. And... And in that, we'll have about 500 drones, that's it. And what she does is she walks across the um, the comb and she uses her feet like calipers and measures it. And the worker bees make smaller holes and bigger holes. So a smaller hole is for her to grow a worker bee in because they're littler, and a bigger hole is for a, a drone. So if she's going to lay a drone, what she does is she drops an unfertilized egg. And if she's going to lay a worker bee, she lets the sperm meet the egg. And so she fertilizes it. 
Now, if we're looking for some evidence that there were cults of women who could maybe do this, actually, you can look at the Bible. Okay. Because if who is the virgin that has a, gives birth to a son? Virgin or, Mary. Uh, right. Virgin Mary. Right. So my question to you is, what is the Immaculate Conception? Well, she gave birth without that egg being fertilized. But it was fertilized by the divine. No. what I always think. What? Okay, no. go ahead. The Immaculate Conception is her being born because she too, according to Apocryphal Gospels, was born of a virgin birth. That's true. That's right. That's right. So now we don't have just this one miracle. We have this lineage of miracles that the mother knew how to do it. Then Mary knew how to do it. So, and so we definitely have like this divine intervention. We don't necessarily have that with Anne, her mother. But so we do have evidence that somewhere along the line, there is this knowledge of a how to do it. How to yeah, do it. How to do like it. Like you don't need the guy. You know what? Yeah. This is really interesting. <laughs> and then so think about what I said about Artemis. She was... Um, she was worshipped as the queen bee at the new moon and the full moon. Okay. Now, there's quite a lot of evidence that the women in ancient Greece, because they were very close to the equator, and because there was no light pollution, probably bled in line with the moon. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So they would menstruate at the new moon, then they would ovulate at the full moon. So the question is, and we can't know for sure, We, we it's in the mythological record, but it's not written. Did they know not to have sex at the full moon? Because well, they yeah, were all they to. together. Yeah. Right. And if they knew how to do this, I'm just thinking my wheels are turning now that you're talking about this and we only got a couple more minutes. But, <laughs> but if they knew this. They knew this a long time ago. And what, of course, this brings up the subject. Of course, the woman was in charge because she decided when, if that child, if that egg was going to be um, fertilized or not, she didn't necessarily need the man to do that. Right? There's so many stories. There's so many stories. In well, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. There's so many stories of this divine intervention because, you know, in the Bible, we say, well, God, God had, you know, gave yeah, Mary God, the, yeah, that's God. not That's not unusual. It happened loads and loads in ancient Greece. It happened even more in Rome. It's one of Rome's favorite things that there would be an immaculate conception. So the thought was there. The question is, and, and actually, we don't, for a religion to be truthful, we don't necessarily need it to be fact. We need for people to believe. To believe. Right. Exactly. Yes. And that's the same. To now, manifest. To manifest. Yeah. 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 Well, just because you've only got to follow it, isn't it? You know, the, being the Jedi's is a, is an official, official um, religion now, isn't it? Because people believe in it. It doesn't need to have actually happened. Did it happen? We don't know. Interesting. Gosh, you're so interesting. <laughs> all right. So what's come, what's up next? So if people want to get in touch with you, first of all, let me just ask this. Do you have a website that they can find you at? 
Yeah, so my website is thesecrethealer.co.uk. But you will get more attention off me if you message me on Facebook. Oh. So I have so so I have a, a Facebook page which is the Secret Healer Rights, and I have a group that um, I think anybody who's enjoyed this will really love hanging out in. It's called Wart Cunning, Moon Bathing, and Crones. Oh, I love so, it! Can you send me the links? Can you send me yeah. the links, and I'll put them up on the on the YouTube and on the um, podcast so that people yeah, can I'd love it. it. Yeah. Now what's, gosh, you're just so cool. What looks after this? Now you've got this is coming out. What's so, next? Yeah. So there's two, there's two answers to that. The first is that I am a long way through writing a book about myrrh. Oh. So, yeah. So, and trying to understand why were they using myrrh? We, there's quite a lot of archaeological evidence in Egypt and just kind of putting together um, bits and pieces through that. So I'm a long way through that. However, um, mm-hmm. the week after next, I start a degree in classical studies. So I, so from this now, I am going to learn to be a proper scholar. I love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. That's so yeah. interesting. That's so interesting. Well, you've just, you're a breath of fresh air and you're just oh, a wealth you. of knowledge. And I'm just so grateful that you came on the show today. I'm um, so grateful you wanted to talk to me. Thank you oh, so gosh. much. <laughs> There's just so much information. You guys have to check this out. Meeting the Melissa. This is so interesting. And I'd love to have you back. And um, what would you like to leave us with today before we get out of here, Elizabeth Ashley? Well, I guess the parting thing is to say, buy the book. But <laughs> Buy the book, you guys. No, it's a good one. Bye. By meeting the Melissa, the ancient Greek V priestess of um, Demeter, to really start to think about women of the past in a different way to question your approach to your own femininity if you're a woman because i really think that it does that but also to save the bees i really want people to think and go gosh bees are marvelous and we need to stop people spraying them i agree with that that's huge yeah because it's it's screwing everything up when they do that it's Mm -hmm. messing up our world yep so that's, oh, that is wonderful advice. Well, you guys, the book is called Meeting the Melissa, Elizabeth Ashley. She's joined us from the UK today. I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. You guys, if you want an angel reading, go to my website, nancyyearout.com. I'll be happy to uh, answer any questions that you have. I did just put up a new uh, message from Archangel Gabriel, and you can read that if you like. All the shows and all the podcasts are on my website. I thank everybody for supporting me and supporting the High Road to Humanity. Thank Thank you so much and have a fabulous week. God bless.